I can't help wondering a little bit what Tyler Prescott is doing right now. He may be worshiping right now, but uh, uh, through his wife, Lanier, they have lots of relatives in Louisiana. And uh, so uh, uh, Tyler is duck hunting with his relatives. And, of course, I have that image of Duck Dynasty. And uh, Tyler down there with his beard and down there among those guys, you know, doing their, their thing. I'm, maybe he'll be on a Duck Dynasty, you know, show in a few weeks, you know, doing a duck hunting routine with them or something. But that's where he is while we're here doing God's work. And he's off fooling around. So I want to take a few minutes to talk about that passage from uh, Genesis and uh, I don't have time to give it justice. Um, some of you sitting here will remember a season here when Mike Breen was among us for a long weekend and unpacked this passage in a very, very powerful way. Uh, since then, uh, Timothy Keller, that wonderful Presbyterian pastor in New York who is very available by podcast, has done a great teaching on this covenant passage as well, Abraham 15 and Deuteronomy 29 as well. And I highly recommend you Googling that if you want to get something even more in-depth about the profundity, importance, um, essential uh, part of the Christian witness uh, through covenant. So um, just a snapshot today, if you will. But I want to look at that passage for a bit because it's such a confusing passage for most of us, and rightfully so. It, it speaks of a... Of a, um, of a pattern of a custom of something that was ex extraordinarily important to these ancient peoples uh, to covenant and uh, this is a particular kind of covenant this is one uh, not between equals but of a of a greater with a lesser covenant and it had its own particular hallmarks for that reason but uh, uh it it is um it's it's the heart of the old testament witness and it is the preparation for the New Testament, the new covenant through Christ Jesus. We find it all here in this, this core piece of information in Genesis 15. And so as you know, it begins with Abram, who is childless and essentially homeless. Um, he and his people do not have a land that they can call their own. And there are two promises made to Abraham in this passage. And one is that he will bear a child and his uh, in fact, his descendants will outnumber the stars of the sky. It will be so uh, extraordinarily uh, rich and uh, fruitful. And also um, that I will give you a land that you will take position, uh, possession of from all those ites. And uh, those ites were people uh, of the land who uh, we know later in this story had totally abandoned. God and his purposes in their lives. And so God said, I'm going to cleanse the land using you and then give it to you. Because these, these ites are so dark. Uh, think of the days before Noah kind of darkness. And these ites are in that same kind of posture of apostasy and abandonment of faith or worship of God. And so the land will be given to Abram and his descendants. And Abraham says, how can I know this for sure? And the best way to know something for sure is to have a covenant with somebody. Because a covenant is the assurance that what I say I will do, I am going to do. And you can bet on it and you can count on it. Think, of course, of the marriage covenant. And that's exactly what we have 
put in place, although that is between two equal parties, is, is essentially saying, I will be what I should be, whether you are what you should be or not. See, the, the covenant is not qualified by any condition, but imagine the power of a marital relationship, or perhaps you live in one, or perhaps you... Um, are young and can look forward to this kind of rightful marital relationship that you will marry somebody who will say to you, I will be what I should be, whether you are what you should be or not. That's covenant. And the power in a marriage relationship is it's not merely one party saying that to the other. It's that plus it's the other party saying it to the first party and I will be what I should be, whether you are what you should be or not. It's powerful. It's life-giving. Yes, it's sacrificial, but it's where life's meaning is found out, in that other-centered posture of commitment and dedication to another. But, oh, this is a glorious and beautiful covenant here. I mean, this is the highest of the heights of covenants, this one that God has made with Abraham that has stood the test of time and is ultimately and finally fulfilled completely and perfectly in the life and witness, the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. Because what we have here is that ancient custom tradition of ratifying a covenant by a rather grotesque means. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon, the Lord said. Adam brought all these, cut them in two. This is a bloody mess. And arranged the halves opposite each other. Birds came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. He's keeping vigil and waiting to see what's going to happen next. And normally in a covenant-making ceremony between two parties, this would happen. Abram would walk between the halves of those bloodied, cut-up, ruined carcasses of animals, lives given for this covenant, basically saying, may this be what happened to me. May I be cut into a thousand pieces if I do not keep my end of the deal. And then the other covenant party would, from the other end, walk through that same pathway and say, likewise, may this happen to me if I do not do what I said I would do in this relationship with you. So, the sun sets, the darkness falls. In symbolic imagery, imagine the darkness as the darkness of judgment of falling. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. This is a supernatural, transrational event and experience in Abraham's life. It is utterly and totally life-changing for him. And in fact, it is utterly, totally and life-changing for all the history of the world. This is one of these apex places, climactic places here early in Genesis. And that smoking fire pot with a blazing torch, reminiscent of that fire and smoke that appeared on Mount Sinai, which was representative of God himself come down. And here again, God himself comes down and he passes between those carcasses. On that day, verse 18, the Lord 
made a covenant with Abram and said to him, to your descendants, I give this land and you will fill it with your own children. Two amazing, remarkable pieces here that happen. First is, it was usually the lesser who would make his way between the carcasses, grateful that he was getting some benefit from the greater and that he was committing something in return. There's a bit of accountability to that, the lesser to the greater. The greater was not obligated to do the same in this covenant-making commitment, usually. Between two parties that were equal, yes, but not between the greater and the lesser. So what happens here is one of those profound and marvelous God twists that he does for our lives and in our lives. The greater passes through there. And the greater, the Lord himself says, Abram, may this happen to me if I break this covenant with you. May I be torn apart, left bloody, left for dead, if this covenant is not fulfilled. And the second amazing thing, Abram, there's no record that he has to walk through between and in that passageway of blood and mess. The covenant is made from the greater to the lesser. And the terms of the, gov- of the covenant and the consequences of the breaking of the covenant all rest on the greater and not the lesser. Now we can fast forward thousands of years even to this morning's gospel reading, the second chapter of Matthew. And we hear the story of the coming of the wise men. We've already celebrated the coming of the shepherds to the babe born in Bethlehem. And now the the coming of the wise men, representatives of all nations, all peoples, in all time, our representatives, us mostly light-skinned people in a culture of... um, um, more colored, but for all people of all colors, represented by the wise men from the east. And they're coming to worship a baby who is Christ the Lord with gold and frankincense and myrrh for burial anointing, the myrrh. Because the covenant was not kept, the people continued to fail. And as they did, with our intentions as well, we fail as well in our lives to keep the covenant when we try, even when we want to, the oughts and shoulds, and we let God down. We fail in our covenant commitments, and we hang our heads. Who is going to pay the price for that failure? All the way back to that covenant made, God will provide the sacrifice as necessary, and he does it in time and in history once upon a time. Jesus, the Savior, the one who is, if you will, split in half, whose blood is shed, who's beaten and cut and left for dead, who is dead, to pay for the consequences of the covenant being violated, not by God, but violated by humankind. So we live in a peculiar rhythm of life. 
First, with a heart desire as followers of Jesus to be followers of Jesus. And second, with a realization that with that heart desire, we still fail him and we fail him a lot sometimes. And God takes care of both sides of that. As we follow him and obey him, we find their life's true substance and meaning. And when we get off the trail and off the track and are lost in our own selfishness or self-centeredness, God is waiting. God pays for the consequences of that behavior through his son. God enables the covenant to be permanent and unchanging. I will love you whatever you do. I could not love you more. I will not love you less. I am the God of judgment and I will take care of that as well. Come. Pick up the loose pieces, my child. Let's start again. If we were to look through this scripture further, if we had time, we would find several settings in scripture where the covenant is renewed and start sort of a reset and a start over. And so it becomes very natural for us to, it seems to me, to allow the secular idea of New Year resolutions to become a sacred commitment or a sacred idea for our lives and to, and to take whatever New Year resolutions we've begun to develop and I would say sacramentalize them. Put them between you and the Lord. Lord, in this new year, this is my intention of what I would like to do as I grow closer to you. Don't try to do the whole laundry list of things, but ask the Lord, where do you need to focus in 2014? The way I've done it, um, this is my prayer journal. Um, it, someday it will be filled, but I stay on a page for uh, long periods of time and write down prayer requests, um, family, uh, the church staff, the church, and then individual requests that come from you all that uh, I would not remember if I did not write them down. And uh, this past year, I inserted my 2013 covenant agreement that we did a year ago here in my prayer journal. So I have to bump into it rather than lose it and forget about it in some stack of papers. And yes, this year in 2013, I could refer from time to time to what I wrote on here back when we did our covenant renewal a year ago and just sort of see how I'm doing. Come up for air and see how it's been. Um, and I didn't try to do all 12 of these things that we may have listed or however many it was, but I picked a few very important ones to me that I thought might be important to the Lord as well. And uh, it's over. Finish this one. I have a new one I need to make. And you do as well. I invite you to take this very seriously. It's important what you do with your life. And this is a way of being intentional about being serious about what you do with your life as a follower of Jesus. And to be willing to renew your covenant with him. To celebrate the successes of your past. And to equip yourself for the new successes of your future. You know, I have that great quotation from Gert Bahana that I simply uh, just treasure and adore. 
uh, that wonderful uh, pagan, non-believing, alcoholic, desperate woman who met Jesus and her life and her witness totally transformed and became a great evangelist of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Episcopal Church in the 1950s and 60s. And her closing lines in her, when she finished talking to groups of uh, AA or to church groups, uh, was, Oh Lord, I ain't what I ought to be. Oh Lord, I ain't what I want to be. Oh Lord, I ain't what I'm going to be. But thanks, Lord, I ain't what I used to be. Because along in her life, she made an intentional decision to enter into a covenant with the living God, to enjoy a personal relationship with the person of Jesus, to ask his Holy Spirit for power and enabling to grow in her knowledge and love of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, it's 2014. This is the first day of the rest of your life and mine. You're going to use these two Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday, to work through this. Um, if you will be intentional, there will be an uh, internet um, uh, email message to you each day of this week with a film clip just to let your own wheels turn. Uh, it's just meant to sort of prime the pump of where you might want to focus. So look forward to those beginning tomorrow. And I invite you to take this home with you and be diligent um, and um, follow the directions, say the prayer, begin to write down what you would like to do in 2014 to enrich your relationship with the Lord and as a disciple. And I ask you, if you remember, I know it's hard to do, to bring it back next week and so that we can make offering to these. And if you forget to bring them next week, you know, there's lots of grace in this. There'll be a whole stack more of them. And perhaps you can scribble down quickly what you'd already written at home because you forgot to bring the actual documents. And then put it in a place this year where you can bump into it regularly and just check in with yourself and with the Lord. It's a great covenant God has made with us. He will pay whatever price that needs to be paid. He simply loves you with all his heart, with all his soul. He loves you with everything he has. You are his children. And he enjoys, relishes relationship with you, ministry through you. Thanks be to God. Amen.